Welcome to the National Council of Supervisors of Mathematics, NCSM, Leadership in Mathematics podcast. NCSM is an organization supporting mathematics education leadership at the school, district, college, university, state, province, and national levels. Its membership constitutes an international force collaborating to achieve excellence in mathematics education. Be sure to visit the NCSM website at ncsmonline.org. Welcome to episode 18 in the series of podcasts recorded at the NCSM Annual Conference in Salt Lake City, Utah, April 7th through 9th, 2008. This episode is the opening address by NCSM President Dr. Timothy Canold. In his address, Tim announces the publication of NCSM's Principles and Indicators for Mathematics Education, or PRIME Leadership Framework. The PRIME Leadership Framework identifies the specific principles, indicators, knowledge, and skills necessary to lead others beyond the current reality of student performance in mathematics. Tim is introduced by Salt Lake City Program Chair, Diane Bryars. Now we're going to, to move to um, one of the, the highlights, I think, of, of what NCSM has been up to for the past year. Um, and Tim Cadle, our president, is going to be here to tell us about it. Um, to introduce Tim, I mean, he's so well known to this audience, it's a little bit of a challenge. I think we all know him as his work in, and both as a teacher and then superintendent in Adlai Stevenson High School, district outside of Chicago. What you might not know about him is that when he first started his career, he was mathematics teacher in Stillman Valley High School in Northern Illinois. And as many of us, he started with five preps and was a basketball coach. <laughs> From there, he went to West Chicago High School. And Lee Younger, who some of you know, math, uh, mathematics teacher, department chair at that, at that high school, encouraged him to present, to kind of help him to prepare his presentation for the National Council of Supervisors, Teachers of Mathematics. So Tim did, went to give his first presentation and about the metric system, if I believe. Yeah. And, and as I understand it, he had a whopping audience of three people. Lee Younger, Alan Foster, and the presider. And kind of the rest is history. So um, think about that and the role of mentoring and the people that you work with. So without further ado, here's Tim. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. We are just so thrilled that you're here. Uh, you have no idea. We've been planning um, so hard as a, as a board and as a program committee throughout the year to make this conference and our 40th anniversary conference a special event for you. Uh, we've really thought of a lot of different ways to help make that happen and we hope you're going to have a great conference. I have to tell you that uh, we made a decision um, as a board about two years ago uh, to, oh, yeah, if we can uh, flip on to the... Yeah, thank you very much. We made a decision about two years ago. Uh, there was uh, the board got into a pretty heavy discussion about if we are a unique organization of members because we are about leadership in mathematics education, then what the heck are we supposed to be about? What are our standards? What are our expectations? What's the vision for what we are to become? 
what is the legacy that we're even supposed to leave after we spend, you know, all the years working at it? And we're like, well, we don't know. We, we didn't really have anything that spoke to that issue, to that vision. I even imagine right now, many of you are sitting here this morning, you're just glad to get out of your districts and just breathe. You know, like, you know, you've had the kind of year that's like, okay, it's not going to be the greatest year in my legacy, but I'm hanging on. Then it's April. June will be here soon. You know, one of the hardest things that I've learned about leading adults is that they are so messy. And they keep coming back every year. You know, it's not like our kids that go on to the next year. The adults come back, and we got to figure out how to work with them. And so as we began this journey of creating what eventually became titled The Principles and Indicators for Mathematics Education, or PRIME, Leadership Framework, as we began to work at trying to bring some clarity and, and crystal clear understanding of what is it that we would even use to measure whether or not we're having a good year. How would we know? What would it look like? What would be part of it? What would she, we should be, you know, we have so much energy and time and resource during our careers. What should it be dedicated toward? And that is a very, very complex question. If you actually Google on Amazon, if you look on Amazon, there are over 3,000 books on leadership and education. And we wanted to come up with just one and a fairly simple message. Not easy to do. And so I want to just make you aware that there was a process that we followed that I thought was um, appropriate in order to be bold enough to step forward and bring this framework to you during this conference and, in the, and throughout the next few years as we begin to even understand how do we take ownership of it ourselves and how do we begin to um, even do a professional audit of our leadership work and figure out how to connect it to who we are and the work that we do every day within our local schools depending on the kind of leadership position that we have. Um, it would be very um, appropriate for me before I get too far into this uh, to uh, introduce to you some critical people, uh, critical members in helping make this document come alive. Um, as I indicated to you, the um, writing of the document itself, the framework, really started about two years ago, where just a small subcommittee of the board, uh, consisting of um, uh, Ruth Harbin-Miles and Don Balka and Ted Hall and Linda Gojek and a few others, got together to say, okay, what, what could this look like? And through that, um, we eventually extended that journey into an extensive and in-depth writing team of 12 people. And they kind of know it because in order for me to do this right, I had to warn them this morning and have them sit in the same spot. But I would like to just take a minute to um, let you know who the writing committee was that put this document together um, and to thank them personally because the work that went into this over the last few years has been tremendous. And so I'd like to thank the actual writers of the document. Uh, they couldn't all be here because of other conflicts they have. Um, so if they're not here, I'll just um, I'll let you know that as I read their names. Please just hold your applause. We're going to ask them to stand there. Most of them, many of them are sitting over here to the right, and we're going to hand them a certificate. You don't get to see what it is, and you're not going to just kind of look at them. They're over there somewhere. Um, okay. Um, first of all, Don Balka, and then Lori Boswell. Lori, I'd like to present her with her certificate. Um, also, John Carter, and John's on the NCTM board and couldn't be here this morning. Linda Fulmore. Linda? Henry Kepner. I, can't, I think Hank's also tied up with the board. their board. Uh, Steve Leinwand. Steve? Congratulations and thank you. Miriam Leva, and I'm not sure, okay. Um, Tammy Martin, Ruth Miles, Ruth is here this morning. 
Suzanne Mitchell. Thank you, Suzanne. Steve Victoria. Steve. And Gwen Zimmerman. Gwen. Thank you. These are the writers of the Prime Leadership Framework. Let's give them a big round of applause. In addition, as with any framework like this, we went through an extensive review process, many, many drafts. I, I have um, an entire, we have rooms full of drafts, of, of um, extra drafts of this thing. As we went through um, probably about 27 different drafts before it got to this final document. And um, so we had an extensive list of reviewers. And I would just ask anyone in the room right now, if you were involved in the review process, I know um, some of you are here, I saw Dorothy Strong and Diane. If you were involved in the, re the review process, would you please stand? And at any level you were involved in the review process, please stand. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. And finally, um, uh, we had a summer leadership retreat last summer, um, brought kind of an initial sort of framework uh, to the board. It got um, vociferously... Um, attacked, and uh, we worked really hard to, to bring it to a whole nother level. And I just want to ask our uh, current NCSM Board of Directors, if you would please stand for all of your work in the review process. Please stand and um, be recognized for the work to put this leadership framework together. Thank you. Okay. So anyway, there we go. So thank you. And I would say that um, as we walk through this today, I am not going to take you through the document. That's not what um, we're here for. We'll have breakout sessions during the conference that will help you with um, more of the details. Um, but I want to help bring us to an understanding of, of why we have the document and what we hope it can do um, for each of us and for you and, uh, as you do your work. Uh, the opening epigraph on page one, as we really began to analyze this, starts with this quote from Martin Luther King, Jr., when he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964, he said that the, uh, that the I refuse to accept the idea that the isness of man's present nature makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. And as we began to think about this document, you know, just as simply as I can tell you, it's an oughtness document. It's what we ought to become. It's what we ought to pursue. And I will tell you this, as you read it and you start working through it, and maybe some of you fell asleep to it last night, I don't know. Um, but whatever, whenever you look at it, I will tell you that you will and I will be in general agreement about what's in it. You go, oh yeah, should be doing those things. But the truth is, we're not. The truth is, there's a gap. We aren't doing what we ought to do. We might be, but not every teacher, not every leader. Maybe those in this room, because you're here because you want to be oughtness leaders. So this really begins a document that pulls us forward and says this is what we ought to become. It just reminds me of um, last May, I had some really good friends who um, asked me to marry them. It was really pretty funny. I'm like, well, I don't, I, I, I'm not a, how do you marry somebody when you're not a minister? And they said, well, you can go online and somewhere in California for $39, you can become um, an ordained minister. So I did. And I uh, got the little certificate. I think they're legally married. I honestly don't know. I mean, I signed a piece of paper. Uh, who knows if it's really good. Um, and maybe that's their fallback position. I'm not sure. But um, regardless, we are um, at the reception afterwards. And it was a lot of professional friends, a lot of our friends like this that are in this room. And, um, and several of them said to me this question at the bottom. Tim, do you think you're best days are ahead of you or behind you? I thought, 
and they weren't really asking me. They, they were asking for my school district. You know, I think our, my school district, the best days, were ahead of us or behind us. And as I thought of it, and, and I have to tell you, in my entire leadership life, I've never asked that question. It never occurred to me that you wouldn't seek better days ahead. That you wouldn't seek next year being a better year than this year. More people reached, more students having access, more students having opportunity, more students being understood, more students meeting our high expectations, right? Never occurred to me that you wouldn't pursue that. But then all of a sudden I got nervous because I thought like, well, how do I know? We're in a very interesting business. We're in something called the social sector. You know, we don't, we don't, we don't make money. We're not in the business of making money. We're in the business of making children. So how do we know? How do we measure whether or not we've got better days than we had last year? As those leading the effort of mathematics education development in our country, how do we know? So that became an overriding theme in this document. I mean, it really is designed to provide a vision of what we ought to be so that better days will be ahead. So in a nutshell, I guess to explain um, the essence of the document, it helps us understand what it means to have a voice in educational leadership. What are the things we should be about? As we were talking at the board level the last few days as we had our board meeting, it was kind of like, well, it's just 12 things. Don't get too nervous. We only have to be about 12 things. That's it. And, and then we have to do them really well. And then we have to not allow people to not do them. These 12 things about what we should be, this voice, our teachable voice, they're not negotiable. So it's going to be hard because we're going to have to figure out how to get it done. One of the important things to understand about Prime is a what document. It says what are the 12 things we must be about. It doesn't say how. <laughs> that's another story. You know, that's for you and me to help solve. That we're going to hope some of you will help us figure that out. Many of the presentations, much of the work that we're going to be doing here, many of the call for um, presenters next year in Washington, D.C. are going to ask you to help us figure that out. How do you do these things really well? How do we help other leaders learn how to do them well? Oh. So, um, last night, some of you were videotaped. You agreed to this, so I'm sorry. No, it's your fault. Um, and so right now, what I'd like to do is to present that video, I think.
I want to thank those of you that took the time to provide us with some of that insight because I think that's the voice of many of you. I think a lot of you sitting in this room right now feel that way. It's why you're a member of NCSM. It's why you're proud to be a member of this organization. Uh, and it does mean something to you. And one of our gifts to you during this 40th anniversary conference is Prime. And so what I want to do is try to help unfold it just a little bit this morning um, as we then uh, move through the conference and think about how it can impact us as leaders. Uh, the first thing I'd like you to do is I'm going to, just, I'm going to give you a second to do this. When I want your attention, I just want you to pair up with somebody. When I want your attention, I'm going to just ask you to raise your hand. If you'll raise your hand in the air, then everybody can get quiet. So this is, this is the only activity we're doing in the next 30 minutes, so good luck. So here it is. I would like you to actually just turn to someone and relate to them the first comment up there. Um, who's just one person? Diane mentioned Lee Yunker. I would not be here this morning if not for that man. An NCSM member who took me by the coattails when I was 27 years old and said, you need to go talk in front of three people, right? And, and, uh, and then said, you know, let me, you need to start committing your life to some things. You need to stop just sloughing around. Step up. Do the job. So what I'd like you to do is just take a second to kind of turn to somebody and say, here's who first kind of called me to commitment as a math education leader. Here's, here's who kind of sort of looked at me and said, you can do this. You need to do this. You need to start, because, you know, this isn't easy. You're, you need to start leading other adults. Who was that person for you? I'm just going to give you about one minute, so go ahead. a great class, although a little large. Um, you know, they say, uh, just a side note, the average, the ideal class size is whatever you currently have minus three. <laughs> and you get to pick the three. So, all right. Anyway. Uh, 
You know, in the beginning, the very, very beginning of the book, it opens with an epigraph from two very gifted writers on leadership, James Cozes and Barry Posner. And in it, it says that our leadership is a legacy of many. You are all here. You are the legacy of other people. You have others, just as Eric challenged us, that you will be touching by taking that time to do that. Ten years from now, they're going to be sitting in this room as we train the next generation of math education leaders. Heck, we are the generation of math education leaders. So, you know, when you think about that from that perspective, this really is a fundamental calling point of the document because when you look at the second bullet up here on the screen and we actually say, do we as leaders and stewards of mathematics education, and I will tell you, in the document, we don't ask it this nicely. It says, do we ask and expect the people we lead, those that are in our sphere of influence, those that are around us, our colleagues, those above us, those below us, anyone in which we're trying to get across the message of what's right, what's best, what's expected, what's good for students. As we do that, it says here, do we ask and expect them to make decisions and commitments that are best for all students? And actually, that's not what it says in the document. In the document, the, word, the verb we use is ensure. That's a lot tougher verb than expect and ask. I expect you to do what's best for students. But if you don't, it's okay. Uh-uh. Because this document says you have to ensure that every teacher who's under your influence or in your sphere has to do what's best. And when they're not, you've got to step up the plate with the right kind of skills to call them to action to the right things. So that when you've got a school or a district that's 57% minority kids, and only 3% of them are in your best math curriculum, you say, sorry, we're not going to settle for that. We're going to do what's best for all our students. Well, see, so it's a tough call. I mean, this isn't just as simple as it seems. So the document uses the word ensure throughout. And I just want to make you aware of that. Um, and one of the things that we realize as well um, in the course of developing this leadership framework and these standards of expectations for our behavior is that it, it is much more than about knowing our discipline. When you decide to become a leader of mathematics teachers, when you decide to lead adult work in your school, in your local district, when you decide to do what we do, what our organization is about, when you decide to do that, then it's a lot more than about content. If you settle for that, we will fail at our jobs. We will not move forward as a country in terms of improvement in math education. The document says, sorry, you've got to do more than that. In fact, you have to do what? We have to become skillful at moving the adults we lead to commitment to the right things. And we don't have that. Not all of them. And you can probably write down a list right now. The adults that you're working with right now, they're driving you right up the wall and are not committed to what you even know are the right things. And they might even be, again, as I said earlier, in agreement that we should do it, but, you know, I, I, I don't really have time to plan like that. I don't really have time to integrate the technology. I don't really have the time to figure out the language of my students, the needs of my students. It's a lot of work. 
So, how do we do it? Well, the document really calls us to do it three different ways. Um, when to move people toward commitment, what I've learned over the time, over my years of trying to do this well, is that the first thing that we have to do is the I'll go first approach. When you want to lead other people toward a commitment to the right kinds of things, it starts with us. I'll do it. I'll model it. I'll try it. I'll, here it is. See, I'm doing it. I'm trying to integrate it myself. I know this is hard, but follow me. I'll go first approach. Back in about 1994, uh, uh, it was interesting to me because uh, we started a movement in my district of um, highly effective collaborative teams of teachers. No teacher was ever again allowed to work in isolation. They had to work together in order to erase the inequities created right, by inconsistent practices in the classroom. I mean, this is well documented. You all know this. And so there's a call, national call right now, to really work hard to begin to get teachers moved out of isolation into effective collaboration with one another around best experiences for students around student work and student understanding, student lesson plan, all those great things, right? Well, we started this about 1994. And, um, and I was leading the movement for my district in math and science. I was director of math and science at the time. And what was really interesting about that was I was on a team. I was one of the members of, of one of the, you know, like I had to kind of, I'll go first approach. So I was on, actually, it was an AB calculus team. It doesn't matter what the content was, but I was on a team. Except my participation in the team was, well, you guys do the work you need to do. Because I'm the division director, I don't really have time to meet with you as a team. And I'll just kind of listen to what you're doing. You know, I'll, I, it wasn't a very good, I'll go first approach. And I learned some valuable lessons from that about having to even surrender my own ego because sometimes I'd be in those darn team meetings and I'd have to ask for help. And I'm like supposed to be the leader. I'd be like, oh, I don't really know how to teach that that well. Could somebody tell me? So I was like getting exposed, you know, like, oh, no. So there's a lot that comes with this I'll go first approach because we might fail in front of other people. We might not always get it. And yet it's a very, very powerful part of this document. In fact, in the document, it's called Stage 1 Leadership. As you read the entire document, from time to time, you'll see that icon up there in the upper right-hand corner. That icon, that little starburst, is you and me. We're, isn't it kind of cool? It's like we're starbursts. Um, okay. Hey, I like the graphic, all right? So, um, and it's, called, it's titled Leadership of Self. We cannot lead people to places we aren't willing to go. So a big part of the document really spells out this kind of making a difference in self. And, and in fact, we call it Know and Model. That our first, and remember, it's only 12 things. So we must know and model 12 things. That's it. If we can do that, we're on the path of what we call stage one leadership. We even talked about having a stage zero leadership um, uh, stage. But we're, because you know, like you might not even like be on the stage yet. But then we're, no pun intended. But we were like, um, like, okay, that might be, you know, might not make you feel very good. Um, I think in the actual um, rubric for how you assess yourself here, we have like a, a professional audit um, in the document that you can use at the back and the reproduce while well, you have permission to reproduce them. It's funny because like stage, like level one of stage one is I have no understanding. So that's, you're still in stage one though. You just, because you now recognize you don't have the understanding, you know, of how to perhaps um, lead that particular one of those 12 things. So the leadership of self really um, creates a great theme throughout the um, framework that just says a stage of leadership in these 12 areas is just to lead myself first. And by the way, we don't think it's linear. You know, you could come here and be, and be, be presenting. Many of you are presenting at this conference. That actually, as you'll see in just a second, is kind of like a stage three leadership, but that you will be experiencing things during this time that kind of takes you kind of to stage one development, this kind of personal leadership and growth all along the journey. 
our kind of personal desire to continue to learn. So the know and model stage. Um, the second way that, uh, that we um, can move others towards commitment besides kind of the I'll go first approach is what I refer to as um, it'll be so worth it to you approach. Now I have to tell you, I, I don't like this approach much personally because there is something deeply embedded inside of my soul that says you ought to do it just because it's good for kids and that should be good enough you know some sort of this like altruistic sense of our of our uh, why are you in teaching then if you don't want to do what's best for children on a day in day out basis you know just the fact that we know it would make students learn at higher levels than ever before you would want to jump off and just do it now doesn't work for a lot of adults it doesn't work. They got to know. Why will it be worth it to me? So we have to figure that out. In each of these 12 areas, part of our, our, our problem is that we have to come up with it will be a, a worth, so worth it to you approach. In other words, what will be the benefits that will accrue for students, for the teachers, for the, the like, even in 1994 when we said to everybody, no more isolation, no more private practice, no more shutting the door and doing your own thing, no more doing great things in one classroom while schmuck stuff's going on in another classroom, no more. We're going to have to come together and work together and make it work so that every child benefits. No more just it's about your service. It's about the whole course. It's about all the children in the grade level. It's about everything. No more. Really? Why? Why should we do that? What's the benefit to me? How will that make a difference? And I taught, I led for many years on the false assumption that you would do it just because it was best for children. That you were wired up that way just like I am. Truth is, many adults aren't. For many adults, teaching's a job. There's got to be something in it for them. It's not just about the kids, and you know this. You know I'm telling what I'm saying is true. So that's part of how we lead. We move others towards commitment by helping them understand how they will have benefits and efficiency and time management and um, the level of workload and the way that they can share and learn with each other eventually will create an incredible collaborative community. And here's what's true. You and I, I think, are human beings. By the very nature of being human, we are social. And there are tremendous benefits of being social when it's right, when it's done well, when it's done in a way that's healthy and constructive and supportive and trustworthy. So we have to learn how to create those conditions. But only around 12 things. So keep that in mind. It's just about 12 things. Um, and here's what's even more important. And I have to tell you, it's not in me, this last part, too often. But Eric kind of spoke to it, didn't he? He kind of talked a little bit about some of the, the data that shows how certain levels of kids don't get access. Certain kinds of things aren't going so well. We have pretty good evidence that at least in mathematics, our children 9-12 are falling behind farther and farther and farther. If it's really true that 76% of the kids who have four years of high school math will actually graduate in four years. As Eric said, right? I think he said it. I think that was what he said. If not, I was, I'm close. Um, I think, well, then how do we do that K-12? How do we educate our teachers? How do we develop leadership that will make that happen? And what are the dangers of not committing to these 12 things? Do we understand those things? You know what I find amazing in many, many school districts is, they, is, is there's this kind of um, acceptance of the status quo. 
the acceptance of here's about what the kids can give us. So that's what we get every year. And it takes your leadership to kind of sort of say to, to the adults that are leading the way, but couldn't it be just a little bit better? Ought, ought it not be a little bit better? Ought we not be able to get more kids graduating on time? Ought we not be able to get more kids prepared for algebra in the eighth grade or the ninth grade or whenever? Ought we not be able to, you know, whatever the issues are that are in front of you, should, couldn't we do that? What would it look like? Asking those tough questions. So there, there's kind of our responsibility to um, spell out the danger. So keeping that in mind, for us, it's called stage two leadership. Throughout the document, you see this um, kind of permeating theme that in these 12 things, um, it's our uh, responsibility to reach out to stage two leadership or a stage two um, uh, of personal growth in us, which is making a difference in others. Now, we feel that probably stage one is going to feel okay for almost everybody in this room because stage one is about you, and you can control that. But stage two is about leadership of others. And notice a kind of cool icon. There you are on the circle, and there's a bunch of other little starbursts on the inside. You know, so it's about just like other people called you to commitment, it's like you now stepping out and saying, enough, enough. We're not going to allow these kind of tracking policies to happen anymore. We're not going to allow certain groups of kids not to have these great um, experiences. We're not going to allow certain classrooms to have one type of experience while others have another. We're not going to allow for students to experience mathematics in any way, on any day, in any lesson, in any form that is not relevant and meaningful. We're not. But that means we, as leaders, have to actually develop and call other teachers, teams of teachers, administrators, towards full knowledge of how to do this. This person, as we've described it, is respect, you and I would be respected for our interpersonal skills and commitment for leading this change. In the document, we call it the collaborate and implement stage, and we say it's non-optional for all of you in this room. It is non-optional. You want to be a math education leader in this country, then you must step up to stage two leadership. You must step up to holding those that you work with and that you lead accountable in a way that they can hear, in a way that works, in a way that moves them toward the right kinds of things. The document itself is in four domains. I keep saying there's 12 things, but it's four domains. They are equity. It's a frontline piece. It has kind of equal footing with equity, teaching and learning, curriculum and assessment. And we're kind of saying, you've got to say, it's enough. We are going to have the right kind of ongoing, meaningful assessment happening in my area of influence. And if there's a teacher that's not doing that, we're not going to tolerate it. If there's a teacher that's not preparing best lessons and, and, and uh, willing to participate in lesson study and observation and professional practice with others, we're not going to tolerate that. My leadership requires that it be a leadership of others, but only on 12 things. So again, um, you know, it's a tough one. Now, I will tell you that uh, we do feel pretty strongly that th there is a kind of stages of doing this well in the different areas, and that's all spelled out in the document. Uh, but the point of it being just that one way we call people to commitment is to require ourselves to do it. Wasn't that the end of Dr. Jolly's point in his story this morning? You know, that, that we have an obligation not to turn our heads, not to ignore it. I'll bet every, I actually, I will bet almost every single person sitting in this room right now has a colleague back home you need to talk to, and you haven't been doing it. you kind of been putting it off, because you're just like going, oh, you know, they're going to get defensive, it's going to be bad. You know. 
So here we go. Level two leadership. And then um, the third way that I think you can move others toward commitment to these 12 um, things is um, what we call, or what I call, the grander vision approach, or the bigger than me approach. Uh, The grander vision approach, the bigger than me approach, is uh, to some extent uh, in the local workplace saying to those we lead, don't you want to be part of something great? Why would we work so hard and settle for mediocrity? Jonathan Sapier, who's done a lot of work on this in this area, says that the average school system, no matter how good you are, you're already slipping backwards. It only takes about seven years to slide right out of greatness into mediocrity. Unless you're working really hard for a better future, for an oughtness day. Isn't that interesting? You know, and I find it just um, compelling here. It's that we as leaders sort of say, here's what it could be like. Here's what we could do. Here's what kind of a grander vision, something bigger than us. If we could begin to get this step, we could have a blow your socks off school and we have every reason not to. We're title one. We're mostly minority. We're, you know, high SES, low SES, however you want to interpret that. We have all kinds of problems, but we can still do it. So it's kind of, um, do you want to be part of something great approach during the course of your life? And we have to call people to that. Now, in the sense of the document, um, it's what we call stage three leadership. We call it um, making a difference beyond the school in terms of your own leadership growth. We see this as sort of an optional stage that you may or may not reach yourself into in different areas because um, you may not be in a position to be allowed to do it or be able to do it, or you may be in a time in your life where it's just not kind of on your plate. Because to some extent, this stage really gets at making a difference beyond the school. Many of you are here. Many of you are, you know, you're networking here. You're working to learn more. I mean, that's why I love the comments in the opening video. I get a chance to expand my own knowledge and work beyond just my local workplace. And stage three leadership on each of these 12 things talks about what that would look like, what it would be. And in a, in a kind of soft way, we and, oh, and the icon, get it, see, beyond the worldly, see the, the world, okay. Okay. Uh, and, and in this particular stage of leadership, we actually suggest to you that um, uh, perhaps as your career allows as a leader, you might pick or choose your place. Maybe there's one or two things out of the 12 where you'd say, you know what, I'm going to get really, really, really great at that. So um, as you read through the document, you'll see that, and those issues will be highlighted by that icon throughout the document. I want to take just a second to talk about this issue of the voice of a prime leader, what we're saying a prime leader. Noel Tishy, how many of you have ever heard of Noel Tishy? Okay. Well, um, Noel Tishy is very famous, actually, perhaps, but not in our circle necessarily. But Noel Tishy is uh, the dean of the School of Leadership at the um, University of Michigan. And he's written a, a, a wide variety of books and um, um, literature on leadership and what that looks like. And one of the things he talks about is your teachable point of view, your teachable voice. What is it that you are teaching today to those you are leading? In a sense, Prime is a, uh, it's, it's a voice document. It, it's, it's sort of saying, this is what we want to teach. This is what, as an organization, we want to be about. These are the things that, these 12 things, are the things that we really want to pursue and go after. It is our voice. And all of us, whether we know it or not, in both our personal and our professional relationships, we have a teachable voice. We might not always be able to articulate it, but the way we speak, the words we say to people, it is, we are basically 
you know, positioning our beliefs and our voice in front of them. And Noel Tish even does a tremendous amount of work with people, with leaders like you and I, on how to articulate that teachable voice in a way that's clear and precise and concise. And as leaders, that's the first step sometimes in just getting started. It's kind of a step in a how-to. Well, um, in terms of the voice of a prime leader, um, what prime does is it presents sort of a challenge for us to leave this legacy of many. It's a teachable voice that just sort of says the power of the impact we have on others, even when we don't think it might be that great. I will tell you a quick follow-up story. There was a point in time where I, I don't remember. It was Philadelphia, and I don't remember the details. It was quite a long time ago. Um, and I gave a message, and Steve Lyman actually came up to me afterwards. He says, Tim, you really need to be careful what you're saying because people are starting to listen. So I was like, whoa. You know, I, I had no idea what that meant, but I thought it was a compliment. Um, uh, a legacy of many. Um, Prime, the document itself, will point us to this vision for this oughtness, this better day. And um, the message of Prime is that the time is now. Not next year, not five years, you know, not ten years into your legacy. I don't care what age you're here. I don't care if we have novice leaders here, veteran leaders here. There is an urgency to now in terms of the work we're doing, which is critical and important. We hope the document is going to provide a visionary experience for you a tool that you can use to help lead others. You're going to read the document and think, gosh, this is really for my student, my teachers. And the answer is yes. We are the vehicle that is going to have an impact on teacher leadership so that it can have an impact on student achievement and leadership. And so it's our hope for you, for all of you, that we'll be able to provide a basis through this uh, document um, and on into the future now that will help you in your jobs as you focus people. Now, whether you noticed it or not in that video, the, the 12 things were revealed. So you'll have to go to the breakouts to find out more detail about them. So let me just finish with this. It's on page 58. It's the last page of the document. And it comes in the executive summary. In the executive summary that we've provided for you, this will be free. It's downloadable online. You can give it to your administrators and then uh, move forward from there. However, here's what we say at the very end. In the opening epigraph of this document on page 3, Cruz's Imposter reminded us that a leader's legacy is the leader's legacy of many. Ultimately, the success of a mathematics education leader, that's you and me, resides in our ability to, lead, to uh, in our, uh, resides in our ability to impact um, and leave uh, a legacy on the next generation of mathematics education leaders and programs. When leaders decide to make a difference, they choose to take a stand and commit themselves and others to complex yet crystal clear set of leadership actions. And there's only 12 of them. So don't forget that. Just 12 simple leadership actions. That's all, all you've got to do. Prime describes those actions upon which each of us must take a stand, on which we, in which we must, paraphrasing, must call others to work toward. Every leader, every one of us, is capable of making commitments on things that matter and giving meaning to values that will significantly impact student learning. This is what it means to live a courageous leadership life. This is what it means to be a prime leader. And our hope, our board, and all the hard work they've done for this, our hope for NCSM and its members over the next three to five years is that Prime will help you be focused to have a courageous life. So we thank everybody for being here. Have a great conference. Thanks so much. Be sure to tune in to our next episode, Girls Will Be Girls, Boys Will Be Boys, Teaching to Gender Differences. 
by Bill McBride and visit the NCSM website at ncsmonline.org.